This is the Gate Charlotte Podcast. You're listening to a message by Pastor John Matthews. I do believe that I'm going to kind of say a little bit of my piece. Um, I actually am not even speaking at our conference. Um, I was, and then I felt like the Lord had me uh, actually change things around, and when I invited Bill Vanderbush, I gave him my spot, because I really felt like that was what I was supposed to do, but I do want to say a couple thoughts on um, culture, Reformation. We use the Reformation word, and I think that we have such weird ties in our minds mentally to just the Reformations that have happened, but I want you to understand that we are supposed to, we're continually, as we're advancing the the body of Christ, we're reforming. We're re- forming. It's a reformation. And one of the things that is, is really simple, but I, I want us to understand, is that the song that they opened with this morning, they sung this, this, this lyric, heaven on earth now, and we all know that. It's from the Lord's Prayer, and our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day, and you know, our daily bread. But the line I want to focus on is it says, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. We've got tons of great teaching on this, so I'm not going to tackle it too much. But I want you to understand that heaven was never just meant to be the place that we die and we go there. Heaven was always meant to be the model of what it should look like here. Religion has taught us that just get people saved so they can die and go to heaven. The problem is we've got a bunch of people that are saved that are really unhealthy and they're not advancing the kingdom because they're just waiting to die so they can finally experience the fullness of their healing, the fullness of who they are in Christ. But the problem is, is if you have to die to experience everything you're supposed to be in Christ, then actually death is your savior and not Christ. And so we actually need to realize that if I'm waiting on death to save me, death has become my savior. Death has become the thing that people are like, well, just, just hang tight. One day you'll be in the presence of Almighty. Just, just, just hang in there. But, but that's completely contrary to what he taught us. He said, no, you were never meant to just hang in there. You were meant to be a vessel in which you bring heaven to earth. Well, the name of our church, the gate, you know, the cool thing about the gate is, is that it's very simple. It's just a transition point. Gates, you know, you don't, typically you're not like driving down the road and one gate after another. Whoa, look at that gate. It, nobody's that impressed with a gate until you're trying to find where to go. And you need an entry point or an exit point. And the thing about it is, is in Jacob's ladder, in the scripture in Genesis, when it talks about there was a ladder reaching from, from heaven to earth, and it said the angels were ascending and descending. I always find the little things in that passage, like number one, they weren't descending and ascending. They weren't coming down and going back up and staying. They were going up and then coming back down. And then the scripture said in Genesis, it says that this place is none other than the house of God, Bethel. It is the gate of heaven. And the gate of heaven, the new thing, the thing about the new covenant is, is when we go from Genesis and then we transition into the new covenant that we're in now, is that you and I are actually, 
we are now the house of God. How many know this is a building? We are the house that he abides in. And so now that the gate is not a building, the gate is a people. The scripture that says, lift up your heads, O ye gates, is kind of a giveaway. It's kind of a giveaway. It's about people and not a fence. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, let the king of glory come in. Here's the thing. The person next to you may be waiting for you to lift your head and release the king of glory. It's, it's, not my, it's not my sermon, it's not my altar call. I can't tell you how many times people, it's the person next to them that decides to open up their gate and they get wrecked by God. Everything they were looking for and it's like the end happens and that was like the little cherry on the top but it actually happened when that person next to me and says, you know, I feel something and they open up. And so there's this reality of when he said that on earth as it is in heaven, that is our picture for when we say we're coming into a reformation, a reformation, what are we reforming? What are we doing? What are we making it look like? Heaven. And anytime it stops looking like heaven, or anytime it's not looking like heaven, my job is to keep reforming it. And, and, and one of the interesting things is that there's been a, a statistic that every 500 years that there's always another massive reforming that happens in the church. Phyllis, uh, it's a weird last name, like Tickle or something, Phyllis, yeah. Uh, what a great name, <laughs> Mrs. Tickle. <laughs> and, uh, but she, she has done in-depth study of these reformations that happen over time. And every 500 years, there's something that happens where it's time. Because I, it, I say it this way. It's almost as if you have a very big garage sale every 500 years where all of the junk that we've collected, all of the beliefs that we've collected, all of the things that we went somewhere and we picked up a belief and we're like, why has that been sitting in my garage for 400 years? But every 500 years, imagine that our, um, imagine our garage is getting packed. And at some point, somebody's got to come along and say, we need to empty the garage out. We can't use our garage anymore. Come on, you're a bunch of Southerners. Nobody uses their garage for their car, right? It's like Northerners are like, I get that. Southerners are like, eh, it's junk. <laughs> but about every 500 years, there comes a point where there has to be a reforming because we've picked up these things over time. It's been things, people don't come along and say, I'm going to trick you into believing something bad. Not like maliciously preaching. I mean, I don't think, but they're not, then that's another purpose. Typically, it's somebody that tried to come up with an answer for something that they didn't have an answer to. People ask me questions sometimes, and I don't know the answers, and I found the most freeing response I don't know. <laughs> Aren't you a pastor? Yeah, I'm not God. <laughs> I don't know. But see, what happens is, is somebody that you look up to tries to come up with an answer, and then they give it to you, and then it becomes your belief. And then you begin to share it with all your friends, and then we've picked up this piece of this filter, how we see God, that it was never meant to be, but it was somebody trying to come up with an answer on the spot. And so our garage fills up with things over time, and about every 500 years, it's statistically proven, about every 500 years, it's time to empty the garage. Now, the beauty of it is, is we literally just entered the 500th year. Yeah, that's exciting. That means we are having a big garage sale. And how many of you know big garage? How many of you know that people always have things at garage sales that they really are stuck holding on to? 
It's like, guys, you know, there's something like, well, that's special to me. And everyone else is like, dude, that's a piece of junk. Like, no, 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 no. It's like, you're like, you're selling that for $100. That's like a $10 thing. Well, that's, whoa, whoa. I mean, that chair, I know it's got rips all over it. But if you sat in that thing, it's comfy. It leans back. Don't lean back too far. It'll flip over. But it leans back. And don't open the leg rest because it won't go back down. But, you know, it's, man, it's nice. And they've got these connections to it. And people, how many of you know that when God is reforming us and when he's taking the church and saying it's time to let go of some things, there are things that we get attached to. That's like, oh, don't get rid of that. That was my safety blanket. That's, I, that's what I always say. You just, just took it from me. And it's not always easy when we let go of it, but the beauty is, is we make space for God to do what he really wants to do. And I feel like we're making space right now for God to come in and say, it's time to just clean out the garage, and I'm going to come in, and I'm going to do something great, but you got a bunch of junk you got to get rid of first. And so when we're having something called a reformer's gathering, it's not this event where it's like, wham, bam, that event is done. It's like, this is a kickoff of we are going to bring a reformation. And the thing is, is how do we do that? And I've got a couple simple points that I want to talk about, and I don't have a lot of time, but one of the scriptures that is my favorite to look at is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, and we've got this scripture where Paul, an apostle of Christ, Paul, one of my favorite superheroes in the Bible, is talking to Timothy, and one passage here always wrecks me. It says, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the good battle. I want to take that apart really quick. The first thing I want you to notice is everybody say, Timothy, my son. Kingdom is family. Kingdom is family. It's never meant to turn into a political system where this, it was always meant from the very beginning to look like family. God's heart was always the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Bride, the Groom. Every analogy that's found in your Bible is always about family. You're not going to see the you know, things. That, it's always family. And so the first thing we have to recognize is that someone that's given instruction is saying, Timothy, my son. He's saying, as a father to a son, let me talk with you. And then he goes on and he says, after that, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies. Everybody say, keeping the prophecies. There is more to prophecies than, by keeping them, it doesn't mean write them down in a book and put them away and never look at them again. Keeping the prophecies, that by recalling them, what does that mean? Reminding yourself of them. If you don't, if you have a, I am actually very purposeful about surrounding myself by people that will remind me of them. My wife's the best. But I surround myself by people that recall the prophecies over my life. They recall the words of God over my life. And then it goes on to say after that, it says that by them you would fight the good battle. Now this is where it gets good because if you were to go online and do a little Google about fighting uh, with prophecies, you'll find a common theme that everything is fighting for the prophecy. When it was actually always meant to fight from the prophecy. And I feel like the first step that we've got to get to is that we actually believe the prophecies. Because some people are like, well, if it's your will, well, if it wasn't his will, why would he ever given it to you? He's not cruel. 
And he gives these words to us. He gives us these prophecies, and he says, listen, I'm speaking this over your life because I need to get you here, and to get you here, I need to give you something that says, I need to, here's a word I'm going to give you to help you along. But prophecies are not, the problem is, is that everyone tends to think that prophecies, what's well, a word from the Lord? It's a guarantee. No, it's an invitation into what he wants to do in your life. It's not a guarantee. There can't be a guarantee because you're not a robot, and he doesn't control you. You have something called free will that's been there from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. I know, I know when I talk about control, people don't like that because if he's not controlling you, that means you're controlling yourself. And that puts self-control back on you instead of on him. And he's not controlling me. He's saying, listen, I have equipped you to be self-controlled. He's too good to control. We like that because it puts it back on him. And every time something goes wrong, we can say, well, God's in control. And it's a really comfortable saying. But the reality is, is he's saying, I've empowered you. I've equipped you. He, don't get me wrong. He's still in charge. <laughs> he's still the one in charge. But he's given you self-control. I know it's not, it's not popular. <laughs> but if we're actually going to have healthy people, they have to learn. I have to be self-controlled. I can tell in a heartbeat when someone's like, <laughs> puts all the control, all that off on someone else because they're very unhealthy. Healthy people realize right up front, I need to deal with this. This is on me, not you. Healthy marriages. All right, here's some really good marriage advice for you. Control yourself, not your spouse. <laughs> You're never going to do it. <laughs> you can try all day. All it's going to do is blow up in your face and feel like a loser. Because <laughs> they're going to say, you're not. <laughs> I love taking people through premarital counseling and stuff like that. Right up front, I'm like, don't try it. Just don't try it. You worry about you. You worry about you. You both be the best of you, and everything's going to work out. And so he comes and he says, Timothy, my son, listen, here's the deal. If you want to bring reformation to this town, if you want to bring cultural shift, here's the key. Do it from the prophecies, not for the prophecies, meaning that you've already bought into them. You've already locked in. You've already said, I'm with it, so now I'm going to fight from it. And so things then, we begin to change the way that we operate when we're actually operating from the prophetic word, not for the prophetic word, because prophetic words are important. We need them. This is a house, if you hang around long enough, somebody will prophesy over you. you, you there's a really good chance you'll get one today. <laughs> Some people I watch them, they just kind of wander around at the end, like, waiting for that word. It's like, <laughs> you got a good chance if you hang around long enough. But here's the thing with prophetic words. Every season has a word, but typically the word comes before the season. And out-of-season words sound funny. <laughs> You're going to change this city. My car broke down. I don't have a car right now. It's like, you're going to preach to the nations. I lost my Bible. I'm like, I don't even, I don't even, you know, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, these words, people get these words and they're like, oh, that was off. But here's the thing. It's never going to look like your circumstances if he's giving you a word to take you into new circumstances. It has to look differently than where you're at, or that's just called a confirmation. We need those, too. Sometimes you're going where you're going, and it's like, am I going the right way? And then someone gives you a confirmation word, and it's like, oh, that was nice, thanks. 
I remember when we started the church, we were, I was, um, we, we'd started the church, and uh, well, we'd taken it, and we did a big transition, and then we launched the gate, and September of 2016 is when Tiffany and I stepped in, and I remember in October, we went to uh, New York for a summit with our friend Jonathan, and I remember it was really like, like, like all of, it just felt like everything was like going, like, it was like, it was not going the way we had hoped. Like, it was all right, but it wasn't that great. How many of you know it's like the, the, the first month is like, whoa, here we go, and then month two comes, it's like, hmm. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Anybody need piano lessons? Because I might be teaching them soon <laughs> for income <laughs> if things don't take off. And that, you know that's where we were at. And I remember I went to um, I went to breakfast with a group of people, and actually Ivan Roman, who's now one of our good friends. Um, I don't know if I told you this or not. But Ivan's coming back in November. Now, Ivan, Ivan's, uh, Ivan's, uh, he's he's going to be here for a Friday night service and a Sunday morning service. So he's coming back. But um, Ivan came up to me that morning and he said, uh, "John, he said he, he didn't even know me. He's like, can I prophesy over you? You know, Ivan. He's like, like high energy. And he's like, can I prophesy over you? I'm like, yeah, dude, come on. I'm eating breakfast. Can I eat my eggs while you're, you know? And he starts, he starts speaking over me and he goes on and what he does is he begins to prophesy and he tells me, I think it was three out of four of our core values. He prophesies them. I've never told anyone. And he says, God just wants you to know that your heart for honor is so powerful. It's one of our core values. He's like, and, and your, just your desire for worship is so powerful. Keep worshiping. That's our second core value. And he's like, community. I just see community over you guys. That's my third core value. And I told him if he was a true prophet, he would have got all four. But he got three out of, <laughs> he got three out of four. And, uh, and so he, uh, but you know what that was? That wasn't a prophetic word saying, hey, go this way. That was a confirmation of the Lord saying, good job. Yeah. I know it doesn't look the way that you think it should look right now, but you got it. Good job. That's a confirmation word. Those are really helpful. Sometimes that's like, Lord, anything. Confirmation. Sometimes we're looking for it. It's like, does that look like a number on the wall? Is that a seven? You know what seven means? And I was like, we're like searching out. All those prophetic people are like, I'll find my own confirmation. Thank you. (laughs) Prophetic people are like, oh, look there, my shadow. It's like two different ways. That's a four. That's that's increase, multiplication. (laughs) Jesus. You know, it's like, I love prophetic people. The teacher's like, is that in the Bible? (laughs) Show me where that's at. So, so... (laughs) So Timothy, he says to me, he says, listen, man, fight from those words. Stop fighting for them. Fight from them. And the thing about the words is they don't look like the season you're in. They're always out of place. Somebody speaks it to you, you're like, yeah, I'm going to start a mega ministry and I'm broke. (laughs) You're going to start a marriage ministry, but I don't even like my spouse right now but you're going to do that. He's saying, yeah. Here's where you're going. Here's where you're at. Prophetic words are invitations into another place. So the question is, what does it look like to fight from a word instead of fighting for a word? I'm going to give you just a couple thoughts on this. The first thing is, I believe number one, is remembering what the Lord has done actually creates a heart of thanks. So I'd say thanks is number one. I say it all the time. If there's one thing that I could impart to everybody, it'd be a thankful heart. Unfortunately, it's not really impartable. It's something that you actually have to develop is a heart of thanks. And there's something that happens when people have a heart of thanks. 
that begins to align them with the words over their life. Because having a thankful heart is much more, you have to understand, having a thankful heart is not what we've watered it down to just saying thank you for something. Anybody can say thank you once you've received it. That's appreciation. But he's saying have a heart of thanks. It's, the heart of thanks goes deeper. It goes into a place that actually acknowledges that I have more than I really deserve. It's, 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 very, it's very closely connected to humility. And I mean the real humility, not like the fake humility that we say I have to be poor to be humble. And there's actually humility is not about being just broken, this person that's like life's falling apart. I know that's what the enemy has convinced us all of. But humility is just really recognizing where you got everything. It's aligning your heart to say that it's great that I'm blessed, but I got it from him. See, that's humility. And the poverty thing actually masquerades as humility. It's another sermon, so we'll keep, we'll keep moving past that one. But one of the things that leaders do, and I have to really taint it down myself, because leaders have this, like, we have this strategy thing, and it's like minds are always going. And the problem is is sometimes you actually just need to stop and give thanks instead of thinking, how can we make it better or get to the next step? And leaders struggle with that because as soon as we get something that works, we're like, how can we make it better? How can we do this? And the interesting thing is actually the, the ability to propel you into what's next is by slowing down and being thankful because connected to a thankful heart is multiplication. Okay. Let me give you scripture. John chapter 6, verse 22 says this. John 6, 22 says, The next day the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten. Oh, you know what? I skipped something. I should have started way earlier. Let's go back to John chapter 6, verse 1. Let's go to five. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said, Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? How many know that Jesus, when he asks questions, often he's not really, doesn't know the answer. <laughs> he wasn't like, oh, where are you going to buy all that? And he asked only to test him, for he had already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered and said, it would take more than half a year's wage to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? I often wonder if, if we, I don't know how that's, what context that is in. It could be in, the, you know, there's, there's sometimes you read a scripture and you can read it almost from like, well, I don't know how far that's going to go. Or, or he could be saying, well, we have this. I don't know how far it could go. Maybe he wasn't just doubting. He was the one that pointed out we have something small. And Jesus said, have the people sit down, and there was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat, about 5,000 men, so we know there's quite a few people. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, everybody say gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. I love Jesus. He's not like, little piece for you. 
He was like, come on, all-you-can-eat buffet, guys. Let's do this. That's my God. And <laughs> that gets me excited. And when they all, had all eaten enough, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves that were left over from what they had eaten. I want you to stop there and just recognize a couple key principles that if you've been in this church for a while, you've heard me talk about it. But sometimes it's actually our response and giving thanks for the little things that positions us for the miracle we're actually believing for. Sometimes it's when you come to church and you're believing for a massive miracle and you begin to feel just this little thing happening in you, you begin to give thanks for it. Some people are, I've, I've prayed with them, and it's like, I'll always ask them, if I'm believing for healing, do you feel anything? I'm not, I'm not fishing for something here. I, I'm not like grasping at straws. I'm trying to align them to be thankful, because I know if I can get their hearts thankful, we can get there. Yeah. And sometimes, well, I feel a little bit of a heat on my neck. Perfect. That's God. He's here. He loves you. He knows what's going on. Let's give thanks. And so we're giving thanks for a little bit, because I know it's going to release the greater portion. And so here Jesus is, he gives thanks, and he does it in advance of, which is really a better definition of a thankful heart, because it operates in advance of what's coming. When we think of thanks, we think, well, he fed us, so now we say thank you. Jesus said thank you, then he fed them. He, he, he operated before. And so it goes on, and there's something interesting in the, in the second part of the scripture, which is where I was starting a minute ago, and I might have the wrong translation. I just realized that. But the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away, verse 23. Then some of the boats from Tiberias landed near the place where people had eaten the bread, and the Lord gave thanks. Everybody say, gave thanks. This is cool. This is always this little piece that I just, it sticks out to me. This massive miracle happened. I mean, if, if I were to come in here this morning and, and have a piece of bread, I don't like fish, so it wouldn't be fish, but fried chicken. <laughs> if I had something, you know, you can always feel the, the excitement stir in the room when food comes up. And I come in, and I've got this, and I say, we're going to watch this, guys. And I and pray over it. I say, Lord, thank you for this food. Thanks for this. And then we pull it back out, and, and we've got these baskets, and we just start handing them around, and it keeps multiplying. Most of you, if you'd been in that service, you'd go away and tell your friends, that's the place where the food multiplied. The interesting thing about the scripture is it actually highlights that's the place where he gave thanks. Isn't that neat? They didn't say, that's the place where the mighty miracle happened. They said, that spot over there, right over there, that's where Jesus gave thanks. They realized the connection greater than we do of that was the spot where he gave thanks. They were highlighting the reason the miracle happened, the source of the miracle, if you want to call it that way in a sense, the release point. I think there's something to this that we begin to realize that giving thanks is not just saying thank you for something. It's actually a heart position that takes little and makes it big. And there's so many more ways I could tackle that. I've preached on it before. It also sanctifies. 
Remember Paul, when, when he told him to give thanks for the food, they said, you can't eat that. That's demon food. That's idol food. And he said, he says, why? Just give thanks. <laughs> Wait a minute. Whoa, you can't, you can't eat that. You know what that was prepared for? Just give thanks. <laughs> There's power in giving thanks. I don't have, uh, the second thing is, is remembering, uh, testifying your testimony. It actually carries the, the spirit of prophecy. And it says in Revelation 19.10, it says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I think that when we testify, we don't realize that we're actually prophesying that he'll do it again. We think of testimonies as just telling your story. You are telling your story, but while you're telling your story, you could be telling someone's future. Okay, the testimony actually contains within it, the Bible said that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, which means that when you testify of what God's done in your life, you may be prophesying it into someone else in the room, he'll do it for you. He healed me, he'll do it for you. Why do you think when testimonies happen, the level of faith in the room goes, you feel it. I want to hit one more. It's the third one. is the testimony, remembering, it refocuses our heart. This is important. I'm going to land here for just a minute. One of my, one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite, again, I think all of them are my favorite, but John the Baptist, he's, he's just, he's a cool, crazy dude. Like you read the scriptures, and it's like, I wonder what that guy was like. You know, I think when you get to heaven, it's to be like, oh, there's John the Baptist. That's definitely John. <laughs> I just see like when my son wakes up and his hair is all stick. I don't know. That's just kind of my, it's my thing. John the Baptist was a bug eater and, you know, he was, it's in your Bible. He ate bugs. I mean, <laughs> do what you got to do, man. So. But John the Baptist was an interesting individual because he, you know, I, I talked about this a week or two ago. He went out in the desert and he was baptizing people, waiting for the Messiah. And, they, and, the, and he had a prophecy that said that, you know, go out there and wait. John the Baptist was considered the greatest of these, which would mean if you were to look at the prophets, if you were to look at Elijah, and then you've got Elisha, right? And Elisha has double what Elijah had. And then you've got John the Baptist. And you've got John the Baptist, and he's waiting on the Messiah, and you know the story. Jesus comes, and he's like, it's time. This is going down. He's waiting. He's like, he's been waiting. He's baptizing with fire. And Jesus comes and completely messes up his plans. He says, you know what? I actually want you to baptize me in the baptism of repentance. Now, that's messing with John. God loves to do that. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That doesn't make any sense. You have no sin. And Jesus was nice. He just like, you know what? Just do me a favor. Permit it to be so. And so he baptizes him. 
This massive moment happens when John the Baptist baptizes Jesus where, you know the story, the heavens are ripped open. The voice of the Father shows up, and this is so cool because this is actually a mirror of Jacob's ladder. But it's initially, I don't want to get too deep, but Jacob's ladder, open heaven, voice of the Father, angelic activity, right? Jesus getting baptized, heavens rip open, voice of the Father, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit, the supernatural activity happens, and the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. This is a big moment for John. Come on, guys. This is probably like, I mean, if you have like your checklist of what's the best moments I've had, that had to be number one. It was like, I baptized the Messiah. Heaven's ripped open. Bird. <laughs> That's a big moment. And so John, John's, John's had this massive moment. And um, I, want you to, I want you to see a couple things <laughs> That a couple things here that happen. It goes on. If you read in Matthew, something happens. This always just messes me up. Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. And as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. How about we try the right book? Hold on. I hate when that happens. All right. Matthew 11, chapter chapter 11, verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, everybody say in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Stop there. Something majorly has shifted in John. The guy that baptized Jesus is actually so frustrated to the point he's in prison, he's saying, is it even him? That's a pretty big shift. That he went from the place of baptizing him, seeing all this magnificent stuff happen to the place he's so beat down that he said, see if it's even him. So if you think you're having a bad day, he, it's pretty bad. He's had a pretty rough run. And so he's, he's sitting in prison and he said, see if it's him and... Um, Verse 4, Jesus replied. Actually, hold on one second. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. The poor. Stop there a second. This is really interesting. This is the weirdest response. This doesn't come across very pastoral. He's asking for help. And Jesus' response is, go back and tell him all the great things that are happening. Now, there's something that most people don't understand here that I didn't realize this actually till the first time I preached it. There's something that... It's called the Messianic Miracles, and I've talked about this before. 
there were certain things that people, there were four specific miracles that the Jews said, if someone comes along and does these four, and they're very specific, he's the Messiah. Now, they were really weird. Like, one of them was like if they raised someone after being dead three days. How many days late did Jesus show up to Lazarus' funeral? Four. He wasn't just really bad on setting his calendar. <laughs> he actually had to raise him on the fourth day to prove one of the miracles that he was the Messiah. Because they believed after the third day that there's no chance. I mean, it's been dead for three days. He stanks. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up on the fourth day. What'd he do? There's one off the list. There's four different ones, and I don't remember them all off my head. I think it was leprosy, um, heal the blind, and was it the... Um, you know him? You don't know him. Oh, you're not helping me. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> go look them up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have them on hand. Give me at the end. I can tell you what they are. But the interesting thing was, is here's this moment. John the Baptist is in prison. And Jesus sends back for him and says, hey, tell him this happened. Messianic miracles, they're done. Good job. Now, now think about it from John's perspective. John knows him as the one that's going to come and set the prisoner free. So he's thinking, hey, can you remind him that I'm in prison? It's not looking good. <laughs> and Jesus' response is, good news. I can't tell you how all this works. I don't know why Jesus didn't work out a way for him to get out of prison. But I do know this. He goes on and says the very next line, something that was really, really important. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on the account of me. In the New King James and most version it says, blessed are those who are not offended. See, Jesus has this reality that a lot of us maybe don't always get. He knew, Jesus knew that John wasn't getting out. He knew that. He also knew that it was important that he ended well. This, this scripture really moves me. I don't know why. I just see such a father in this scripture because he sees John in prison and he says, I know he's not getting out, but I love him. So tell him this, John, everything we came to do, we've done it. We've proved it. And John, don't get offended. Why? Because I want you to end well. We have to understand the importance of even when it doesn't look like it's the way we're thinking it should go, we can end well. We have to understand in a marathon, here's, here's the thing that's so powerful. There's people that have ran before us, and I'm just another runner in the marathon. But the end of that marathon has every bit to do with the last person as the first person. 
you find something interesting with Jesus. He continually, he did something that when, when Solomon was, uh, they were dedicating the temple. You know what Jesus did? You know who they gave thanks to? David. You know when it talks about John the Baptist, who it actually, when it talks about he was the great, greater prophet and it goes back to, you know, going back to, they talked about Elijah. Why? Jesus has this big picture based on everyone, not just what you're doing, but what you're doing is actually connected back to him. And so constantly, Jesus would look back to the father of what was happening and say, this is great. There's like this, David started it. Remember the moment? Remember the moment when David said, I want to build a house for the Lord? And God's like, that's great, but you can't. Because you got blood on your hands. Because you did what I told you to do. It's got to be a bummer. So I did your will, but now I don't get to do it. You know what I mean? It's confusing. But good news, you're going you're gonna to have a son, and he's going to build it. And so Solomon builds it, and what happens when it's time to dedicate? Who do they give thanks to? David. Something about the father. That when he told John, there was something key to it. He said, all right, just do me. He said, just, his disciples came and said, hey, John's wanting to know what's the deal. Jesus knew what to say. He knew, he knew. I mean, here's Jesus, and they're saying, listen, John's in a bad place. He don't even know if it's you anymore. Jesus doesn't come back at him with teachings and prophecies. He doesn't come back at them with a hard fist. He said, you want to know what's going to fix this? We need to rely on his heart. And we have to get him into a place where he's thankful again. Because if we can get him in a place where he's thankful, even sitting in prison where he's going to die, he'll end well. Jesus was not looking at the prison. He was looking at his heart. And he told him, he said, tell him this. The lame walk, the blind see. And he goes on and tells him, Everything that we set forth to do, we've done it. I think this is important because I think that no matter who we are, when we're in a culture, a kingdom culture, I don't care how perfect it is, there are challenges along the way. I don't care who you are. Big dogs, little dogs, big dogs just have bigger problems. There's something important, though, to understanding that along the way that there's going to be moments where it feels like, hey, Jesus, you see what I'm going through? And Jesus said, I'm with you. Here's the key. Get your heart back on giving thanks. But I'm in prison. No, 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 no. No, you're not. Give thanks. Because I want you to end well. When we get prophecies, when we get these words from the Lord, sometimes they don't look like we think they should look. Sometimes they look absolutely crazy. Sometimes we're carrying them. The, the harder part is when it start walking into it, and then you feel like you end up in prison. <laughs> Those are the greatest, like, yay, we're here. <laughs> right? It's like, oh, I thought we were here. I'm challenging you this morning. I'm giving you the same advice Jesus gave John. 
give thanks. Stir up a heart of thanks because it can shift anything. If we're going to change a city, if we're going to change a culture, if we're going to change a world, we're going to have to learn how to overcome those feelings of prison moments. Right? (laughs) I'm not going to get up here and say, oh, good news, now you're never going to have an issue. Because you'll be back at my door real fast. (laughs) Things come up. Things happen. But he said, listen, if you can just keep thanking me, you will end well. Well, I was hoping you'd just come let me out. I'm really more focused on you ending well than just the circumstances you're in. He's that good. He's that good. That's how we fight from something. That's how we fight from it, not for it. Amen? Let's stand up. Thanks, Jesus. I I really believe that if we can grab a hold of this, we can, my goodness, if we can really get thankful hearts, I think offense would just fade away. I really do. I think offense will just be something that we don't deal with. I love hanging around people that I know that they're not going to get offended about something real easily. You know what I'm saying? Some people's like, you. <laughs> like, what'd you just hear me say? Because I don't think I said what you heard me say. You know what I mean? Honestly, it's just, it's so easy to, ha- it's so easy to get into that place. And, and I, I really think that thankfulness is the key. Just continually, thank you, Jesus. Even in the moment of it, just, all right, I'm going to remember my history with God. I'm going to remember my history of freedom. And I'm going to just navigate with that. So let's do this. Let's just put your hands out. I, just put your hands out for a moment. Lord, I pray that every person in this room would be reminded of your goodness. When Moses said, I want to see your glory, God said, great. Here's my goodness. People that focus on the goodness of the Lord are people that live in the glory of the Lord because they've continually focused on his goodness and so his glory abides. He was saying to John, even in the the place that you're at, it's not where I want you to be either, but even right there, just focus on my goodness. I'm speaking to a lot of people in this room. God's saying, focus on my goodness. Even right now. Be practical. Go to a moment where he really showed up. Go there in your, your mind right now. He showed up. Thanks, Jesus. I feel the peace coming into the room. I feel so much emotional frustration, like, dissipating. 
as you're remembering. I pray that we'd be a people that aren't caught up in just trying to jump off the start line really quick, but we want to end well. That we would think generationally. We would think about our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids that we can hand off to the next runner. We're not just trying to set the fastest time for ourselves, but we're positioning our team to win. Right now, I want you just to, I want you to begin to take a minute or two if you have a prayer language, just to begin to pray out in your prayer language. I feel it. Come on, just pray out. When the Holy Spirit first showed up in Acts 2, they all began to speak in tongues and people said, listen, they're speaking the goodness of the Lord. There's something connected between speaking in the Spirit and releasing the goodness of the Lord. Come on, let that rise. Let that rise. Let that rise. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Yeah, yeah.